Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. This podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating those people who keep this great country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisations and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. Now, if you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, then please do go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Now, joining me on today's programme on what is a warm spring morning here in the capital is Joe Harrison. Joe is the Chief Executive of the National Market Traders Federation, headquartered in Hoyland, Barnsley. Um, Joe, very warm welcome to you today and thank you ever so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. It's a pleasure. Um, of course, it's not the first time that you've joined us on the uh, the programme. Uh, we spoke uh, back in um, October last year, and of course, since that time, we've been in lockdown again, come out of that lockdown, and now we're looking at what essentially is a second recovery, as it were. Um, so for you over the last few months, I can imagine it's been a bit of a sort of tricky period having to uh, negotiate all of that again. Yeah, very much so. You know, it's, it's been a, a challenging time to say at best, and um, particularly because, you know, our, our industry is a, is a people industry. The, the traders are out there face-to-face when they can be uh, with, their, with their shopping public, and, and therefore in that, that instance there's only been, um, you know, uh, what, what they determine as uh, essential goods, uh, being able to trade during the lockdowns, um, the last lockdown, it's fair to say, was the longest of all, and um, and therefore those selling non-essential goods were in a, a real difficult space. Uh, and yes, we we know there was some financial assistance provided by the government, but uh, it's fair to say that our members are market traders, and a lot of them fall in the category where they don't directly pay the business rates. It's paid on a as a collective from uh, in in their rents to to the local authority and therefore weren't able to gain the grants from from the business rate grants and therefore were only able to gather those that were made made available through the local authorities um which were you know it was at the discretion of the local authorities where they they made them their monies available which did it's fair to say it was uh, it did create an awful lot of problems. Some were excellent in in distributing and, and making sure their traders were looked after. Others not so good at all. So um, the the discretionary wording uh, really created a great deal of problems across the piece. Yes, I can certainly um, imagine so. Um, and with the current sort of climate, as it were, we now sort of have what we didn't have last summer when things reopened again, and that is a vaccination program in place, um, a roadmap out of social restrictions. And there is real hope now that hopefully we are finally leaving the pandemic behind. So what is it like at the moment for traders out there trying to do what they do best? Um, are they finding that it's quite easy or are there still one or two problems, maybe sort of a lack of consumer confidence or are people keen to get back out there, are you finding? Well, actually, the, 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 the feedback on that is, is, is positive. Mm. I mean, the majority of markets that operate outdoors, and obviously the science has 
proven time and time again, it's it's far uh, less less easy to contract a virus, you know, in in the outdoors, and therefore the the consumer confidence has been higher than ever um, in those cases. Um, and it's fair to say a lot of that is also down to the fact that people were locked indoors. They were they were only able to access essential goods, and and the the essential goods traders on our markets did an absolute excellent job on supplying uh, goods to to their their localities, you know, their communities. And um, yeah, it it, it it give it a shot in the arm, as it were, really. And uh, our markets, particularly in this better weather we've been experiencing in the last few weeks um, are actually back uh, thriving on the outdoors. So mm. we're, we're, we're really pleased because, as I said before, there's a lot of uh, mending need doing um, for the difficulties they've incurred in the last 16 months. That's very right indeed. And um, just for the benefit of the listeners tuning into this podcast, and we are recording on the 15th of June 2021. And so just yesterday, it was confirmed that uh, plans made by the government to remove all of the social restrictions left um, on June the 21st have now been pushed back to July the 19th. Um, Now, even though Freedom Day has been pushed back that little bit more and so social distancing masks in certain places is still going to be a thing, I suppose outdoors, does that really make a massive difference to the likes of yourselves, Joe? No, no, obviously it it hasn't. I mean, we we for as an organisation, we we are desperately short of more young people into our industry, and therefore we've we've created a program called the Young Trailers Market Program, and we run uh, we help local authority local operators uh, run some local uh, ones. We made it into a competition type thing, so um, they they operate on a local basis, and obviously that got scuppered last year. and then they go on to a regional final and we are able this year to be holding um, a seven regional finals and are going on to a national final that will be held in Stratford-upon-Avon on the 28th and 29th of August, the Friday and Saturday. Beautiful setting by the waterside there in Stratford-upon-Avon. So in that type of thing, you know, we, we, we're able to carry on even with the pushback of the um, this, uh, you know, lifting of restrictions uh, with there's quite a number of outdoor local events taking place and uh, yeah we're, we're looking and six out of the seven regional finals are planned for after the 19th of July so we are mightily relieved uh, as I say you could go ahead even if they fall before the, 20, the, the 19th of July because they're going to be outdoors so we'll be fine and uh, the ones that have taken place, there's some, in, some huge interest. So there's a lot of small businesses started up during lockdown, you know, bedroom-type businesses, arts and crafts, mm. and, and the likes, and some some chefs that were furloughed and what have you have started on the, the street food scene. So there's, there's quite a lot of positives, and we as an organisation have developed a new programme which is Spring Into Markets, and it's a 120-page long online uh, guide to help you start and continue and grow in, in the retail sector through markets. So we're, we're launching that next month as well. So it's, it, it's all looking quite promising and um, 
we do think, and we fact, we're pretty certain that markets will play a big role in building back our town and city centre high streets. And um, so, yeah, we've got a big job on, on our hands. We need to manage it well. But uh, I'm pleased to say we've got a great team here at the NMTF and we're supporting the traders and the new young traders to to get through that. So, yeah, it's it's... It's looking positive and, and onwards and upwards, you know, is, is definitely the order of the day from, from our perspective. There are a couple of important points there. And I think that guide that you've uh, published is going to be really important because I suppose times of economic hardship, um, history shows that they are the best times sometimes to start a business and some real successes in the business world do come out of economic recessions, for instance. So it's good that people are going it alone. They're starting their own businesses and they're getting involved in that retail side of things. But I suppose as well, that kind of novelty of not being able to go to your local high street street even though sort of retail in that industry was struggling um, a bit pre-lockdown the ability to now go back and sort of do your shopping in stores i guess that's really sort of luring people back isn't it and the high street may albeit it has suffered a great deal during this time may be set to benefit from a real bounce back and that's where markets um, have a real real part to play as you say there yes very very much so very very much so and 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 you you know i'm uh sat on the sector leaders group uh, for the uh, high streets task force and um, obviously representing markets um, and the footfall figures from one of the, the, the partners in the, the high, high street task force uh, the feedback on footfall the, the biggest sufferer is the shopping centers um, uh, the the high street the markets and the the retail parks where the you know predominantly outdoors you only needing to go into the shop when, when you need to shop are, are, are actually bouncing back quite well. So everything's looking better. Um, the retail industry was in, you know, as you said, in difficulties prior to the, even any lockdown. So all that we can do to build it back now, and people, I do think people will shop local more as well. Mm. So, uh, so local high streets and, and, and uh, regional centres within towns will also benefit from that as well. I think that's very right. And also as well, among that vigour to buy local and buy British, with all of the difficulties associated with travelling abroad as well, there's that predicted boom in domestic tourism for this summer, isn't there? And I think with lots of people flocking to town and city centres in the UK, then businesses within those city centres and town centres are in line to benefit greatly. And of course, market stalls are going to be all over the place in those sorts of areas. Yeah, yeah they are. And they're also in the seaside towns as well. So if we're, if we're, if we're staycationing, which, mm. which, which many of us will be doing this year, you know, there'll be a, a benefit to those markets in the in the seaside towns as well. So, and their town centres, obviously, you know, and, and, it, and it's great to see Um but um, obviously, nobody wants to take away people's freedom and, and, and freedom to travel. And, and, you know, travel is an education in itself. But um, whilst we build back and, and, you know, there will be a benefit. And I do think the, you know, the economy is showing that because the growth in the economy is larger than was expected, isn't it? So, you know, I think that's a reflection um, in the, in, you know, of the benefits of, of, of the, you know, coming out of the lockdown and, and, and money being spent at, at home, as it were. 
Yes, absolutely right. And I suppose as well, we spoke, I think, last time about sort of resilience within the industry, having come through that first lockdown, but I suppose having come through yet another one and now back on the streets, back trading, I guess the sector really feels sort of stronger than ever, having sort of come through all of those challenges too, um, in the yeah, lead to the future. It, it, it's like every, everywhere one will need that helping hand, you know, whether it's investment into into the infrastructures of the markets or, or the likes. But, but definitely, yeah, I do think, uh, as I've said before, that uh, markets will play a big part in, in this. And, and you know, the, the shopping public are confident because they feel safe. And, and, you know, it's fair to say, and it's got to be said, that the, the vaccination programme has been absolutely terrific. Um, and, and, you know, the, for the, the scientists that developed the, the vaccination and, and what have you, you know, it's a, it's a massive pat on the back to the NHS and and, and medical science that we, we are where we are now. Um, and it just shows how vulnerable we are as a nation, you know, for, 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 you know, there doesn't need to be an enemy. The enemy can be, you know, a simple bug, can't it? It can be, yeah, and hopefully we're taking the lessons of this whole um, pandemic period forward and we won't slip back into anything like this um, ever again. Um, but just thinking about the uh, the future, Joe, just before we uh, we wrap up on the programme, just because I'm conscious we are running short of time, um, with sort of that roadmap there now, Freedom Day, of course, being pushed back to July the 19th, but yourselves are in a very prosperous place in terms of being able to trade on the uh, the streets of the UK. Um, what sort of future are you expecting over the next 12 months for uh, the industry? And what is it that you're really hoping to achieve at the Federation over that time? Well, we, we we hope to achieve in, in, in roundabout factors that, that we, we we hope to grow our membership because we as we say we're trying to develop new new market traders and uh, we have lost uh, a, a number of market traders that were working into beyond you know state retirement age uh, that during the lockdowns this made a decision for them to retire so there is there is the, the room there for us to grow. Um, and necessity is the mother of all invention, and and there will be good number, particularly from the retail sector, that will have been made redundant, uh, and therefore that's what we want to capture with our spring into market. So we envisage a steady but definite growth in in the industry, and uh, we're looking forward to the you know the help we can be offering as an organisation to those that are coming into it and those that are building back from getting back from the lockdowns and, and re-establishing their businesses on a, on a sure footing. Yeah, let's certainly hope that sure footing really shows itself sooner rather than later and we don't sort of have any more setbacks over the months to come. Uh, Joe, thank you again for joining us on the programme. It's been fantastic catching up with you. And I think just um, as we sort of get more of an idea as to how the recovery is going to play out and hopefully we sort of get to a point where it's clear that social restrictions won't be coming back, I think it would be wonderful to catch up once we are back to normal once again for a third time just to see how the sector is hopefully by then thriving once more. Yes, I'd love to come back and, and, and be able to tell you just how much we've grown and how strong it's got itself So and, and uh, the help we've been as an organisation to get it there. Yes, exactly right. And also, Joe, just because we're not quite out of the woods yet, but we're getting closer and closer, do continue to take care and stay safe with everything still going on. And I'm confident better days are certainly coming. That's great. Thank you very much. Cheers. 
it was a pleasure to welcome Joe Harrison from the National Market Traders Federation back onto the show today. Um, next up on the programme, we'll be joined by Lord David Blunkett, Incumbent Leaders Council Chairman and former Education Secretary, to discuss his take on the last 14 months and his hopes for the weeks ahead. That will be coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome. Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you. Um, well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, uh, which uh, we must touch on. Um, what would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going? Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected mm-hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises, can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff and, of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world. And being able Mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important. Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak uh, will in some ways be positive uh, for British industry? Well, only in the sense that people are having to be creative, they're having to adjust and innovate. Therefore, they're thinking about more productive, if you like, greater productivity ways of delivering the same service or delivering the same products. And in that sense, I think we'll have temporarily at least very much higher unemployment than we've become used to, but we'll probably have a burst of productivity, Mm -hmm. which will help with the recovery, whether it will help with the inequity of the way in which our economy is imbalanced both between services and product productivity and, and uh, production of goods and services, I'm not sure. What we will need to try and do is to ensure that the geographic imbalance that exists is, as far as humanly possible, is dealt with by both uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation from the bottom up and targeted government help, which will still be needed. And we are now in the throes of the kind of borrowing that we saw back in 2008 to save the banking and economic system. We're we're having to do that to save the whole of our productive business and Mm -hmm. commerce. And I think that will have to be sustained for some time. Do you feel that people will take a second look at global supply chains in the wake of this outbreak? I think there's going to be much more creative ways of using local supply and linking up inside sectors much more effectively. And I hope that the Leaders' Council will be able to play a part in that in the sense that people who Mm. have something in common, a synergy in terms of what their 
delivering, whether it's a service or whether it's manufacturing or whatever, uh, will be able to see that there's a, a, a good outcome from knowing the sector better, linking with people, not just geographically, locally, but those in this country who may not have been on the radar in terms of what they produced for the supply chain. And, of course, um, ensuring, because there's quite a lot of fraud going on as we speak with um, people getting into cyber attacks, that they'll also take account of going into the the cybersecurity side effectively as well. The more we are online, the more people who are working from home, the more vulnerable those businesses and their supply chain become. And that's something to think about as well. How important is strong leadership at the moment? Well, I actually think that it's brought to the fore leadership in a whole range of areas from obviously government itself and there's been ups and downs, but all the way through the public and private sector, people have, to use the jargon, stepped up. And they've shown uh, local, regional, national level the kind of leadership that Britain historically was very good at. Regrettably, we've not seen seen the same on the international scene for Mm. all kinds of reasons. Uh, But maybe we will in future. So I think Out of this will come experience of people who have seen an opportunity to do good as well as seen an opportunity to provide a good uh, service or goods, uh, including, for instance, shortages uh, for the health and social care uh, system, um, the food chain and the like. Uh, But also, I think, in terms of seeing the, the synergy between the private and the voluntary sector and using people's uh, commitment to each other in a very positive way. I'm not sentimental about this. Things will revert. Mm -hmm. But actually, I think there is a kind of moment of moral judgment of people feeling that they've got a role to play outside the immediate survival that they're engaged in. And if we can hang on to a little bit of that social responsibility, that will be a very positive outcome. Absolutely. Now, what's your broad view of how the government is responding to this? Are you broadly supportive of their measures? Well, it may surprise people to hear that that I have been very supportive. Of course, there's been legitimate criticisms about the speed of response on protective equipment and on issues relating to testing. But my own view is very similar to the challenge that was made to the Prime Minister of Italy when people said, why didn't you close Italy down faster? And he said, a fortnight before we did it, I would have been considered to be a madman and nobody would have agreed to do it Mm. if I'd tried to move too quickly. And I I think that's something that we need to reflect on here in the UK. We we may have seen the signals elsewhere uh, across the world and taken them more seriously at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but as someone who's a had his life in uh, the opposite uh, political party to the, the present government, I think that with some hiccups and mistakes, they've not done a bad job in what has been incredibly difficult circumstances. And you're absolutely right. In a in a liberal uh, democracy that we live in, it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government. Um, well, the, the UK and... Um, and the U.S. and to some extent 
to the Scandinavian countries have a very different interest, uh, history and, and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. Uh, those countries that have experienced one way or another totalitarianism over the last century have a slightly different way of coming at this. Mm. I don't want to exaggerate it, but I think that that's why getting the balance right of getting people to go along with what you want them to do in their interests as well as the nation as a whole is a sensible proportional balance. And I think we now need to adjust to the coming out of the crisis gradually, uh, readjusting to recovery uh, in the same way. Now, something you've mentioned recently on this balance is uh, the police overreach and the enforcement of the COVID-19 structures that have been put in place. What have they done right and where have they gone too far? Well, I think that they were interpreting what was not necessarily as clear advice as it might have been for all kinds of reasons because people were feeling their way. I think what's come out of it has been uh, a demonstration by local police services in some parts of the country that they could get people to do what was needed without the heavy hand of drones overhead Mm. or people being told that they shouldn't be walking in the street because this was all about self-isolation, not incarceration. It was about getting people not to pass the infection on to each other and therefore to provide distance rather than to make our lives a misery. Those police services that adopted that policing by consent and chipping people along did really well. Those who went over the top, I think, soon got a very substantial pushback. And one of the strengths of our democracy is that you could have that debate. People could say, I'm terribly sorry, we we think the police force in our area has gone over the top. And that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of... um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool. Now, of course, uh, the government has faced criticism uh, that they were slow to react, uh, and Boris Johnson wasn't present at the early COVID-19 COBRA meetings. Now, uh, Number 10 has claimed that this is normal practice. Uh, The health secretary often chairs COBRA meetings uh, related to health. Uh, Does this tally with your experience as a secretary of state, or would you have expected the PM uh, to be more hands-on during the initial stages? I think different prime ministers do have a very different style. And Boris's style, which I think will now be considerably adjusted, was very swashbuckling. In some senses, delegating is a good thing, uh, as every leader of every business or public service knows. Those who try to pull too much into themselves end up with a massive bottleneck, a great uh, failure of trust, and the inability of people to show what they're worth and to to demonstrate their capability. So I'd be very wary of jumping in and saying he was wrong to delegate the essential COBRA meetings. What I was surprised about was that he didn't um, chair the first couple because Mm -hmm. my experience with Tony Blair for the eight years I was in cabinet was that Tony was a great delegator, but he would get a grip to begin with watch what the difficulties were, and then give people direction and confidence to be able to get on with it. So looking back, I think Boris himself probably thinks, God, I 
wish I'd spotted the signals from elsewhere in the world more rapidly, and I'd just been there. However, this also raises another issue. All of us in positions of leadership need good teams around us. Mm -hmm. I think after this is over, he will be assessing those who really did step up and those who demonstrated their inadequacy. I think we'll probably end up in a year's time with a much stronger cabinet than we have today. Well, absolutely. And of course, uh, we've seen a, a significant uh, drop in the visibility of uh, certain special advisors like Dominic Cummings uh, during this uh, entire period. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, well, yeah. it's certainly readjusted the role of those behind the scenes with those who should be taking the decisions having received advice. Obviously, there's been a complete transformation in the profile of experts, if I might use that term, who'd previously been denigrated. Mm -hmm. Scientists, medics, people with behavioral science uh, understanding. My only criticism was, were we getting wide enough advice? Were we narrowing it too much to a couple of key centers in London? But that's because I've always been adverse to everything being London-centric. I think there's great expertise, wisdom, experience out in the sticks, and uh, we should use it. Uh, rightly so. Um, now, was part pandemic planning part of your time as a minister, particularly perhaps uh, when you were Home Secretary? Well, it was, but it was on the back of risk arising out of counter-terrorism measures. Right. Uh, I was the Home Secretary for three months when the attack took place in September 2001 on the World Trade Center and beyond. We did an enormous amount of uh, scenario planning, both desktop and, and real, on the back of that. But it was very heavily orientated to future developing terrorism risk. I certainly got involved with talking about pandemics. I remember being at a seminar in Edinburgh where the university there had done a lot of work itself on the issue of pandemics. And of course, we, we saw SARS and other things emerging. I, I think it would. people criticized the government for not picking up the report from 2015, five years ago. I think that what happens is human nature kicks in. You deal with what you're immediately faced with. Mm. You, you, can, you can sponsor reports. And this is true of business planning, of course, as well, and scenario planning for what business continuity will look like, recovery plans for business, what will happen if um, there's a cyber attack, what happens if there's an energy sh shutdown. Um, these kind of things you, you can look at. But you're immediately turning your eyes to what's in front of you. And had we picked up a bit more on the danger from Ebola and SARS and what have you in the past, then we might have said, what if something hits us in the developed nations that we don't have a vaccine for, mm -hmm. that we can't immediately whisk up uh, protective materials or equipment or, for that matter, medicines that help with recovery, all of which we now see are a danger. I think this will make an enormous difference to the planning for the for the years ahead. I hope it will be widened so that we don't just look at what's happened. But very rarely do you see something exactly repeat itself. Some of the circumstances will be, but others won't. So that's why I've put emphasis in what I talk about on looking at the other virus, the cyber attack 
scenario, mm-hmm. which could be just as dangerous in a, uh, a world of just-in-time provision. One of the miracles of uh, the modern developed world, except for the very poor, has been the distribution of food. A lot of it on computerized, uh, technologically advanced systems if that were to come down, we'd be in real trouble. So I think we need to think those sort of scenarios as well. So have a full plan across uh, both sectors, uh, biological warfare, pandemics, and uh, cyber warfare. Yes, and to do so on different levels, I think again, thinking of thinking global but acting local, we mm-hmm. need a lot more to think about what would happen if something took shape that actually broke down those national and global chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without uh, creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think. Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, now, it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus? Were it be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges and they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19 those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated that will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well. Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business? I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sunak for his action. Uh, Remember, a chancellor who only just come into office was planning to deliver the budget in the middle of March and has had three, at least three equivalent budgets since. I think he's handled it very well, understandably worried now about what we're doing to our economy. The level of borrowing is sustainable because of low interest rates, but it reaches a point, of course, where it tips over so that you can't then do the kind of structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something 
over the last few months. We, we needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation, on the back of what's happened and the challenges we have, could take that. And therefore, we need a different plan, economic plan, over a much longer period, just as we did from the Second World War all the way through to 2002, when the final American loans were paid off. Now, of course, uh, one thing that's on everyone's lips, um, how much longer do you believe uh, that the lockdown can go on for? I believe that we need to be substantially back in action as an economy in June. This obviously is led in terms of places where people would meet in large numbers, having to uh, adjust to the fact that it will be longer for them. And sadly, that will involve business closures. It's why the Chancellor extended the furlough scheme to the end of June. Mm-hmm. But unless we, we get things moving in June, I think we'll run into the summer where all kinds of services and industries will have a chain reaction effect. And what happens with one will then have a major impact on another. And then you get the skittle effect where things get knocked down that you hadn't perceived were going to be affected. So I very much, if I were in government, and I always think of things in that context, what would I do if I were in government? I would be on the side from the second week in May, on the side of the Hawks in terms of saying we've got to start moving and we've got to do so with the collaboration and cooperation of the public who have got the message, who did behave, who responded magnificently. Let's try and get back, perhaps you know, doing things differently for a time, but substantially getting back to business as usual. And unless we do that, then those areas that can't and wouldn't expect to be back in action immediately get pushed further into the middle of the year in the autumn, and then they become unsustainable. Now, of course, um, one of the other major developments we've had recently are the changes in the uh, the Labour Party. So if we could just uh, speak on the Labour Party for uh, a while. Um, this might sound like uh, an obvious question, but uh, how does uh, Secure uh, differ from Mr Corbyn? Well, I'm biased because I believe the Labour Party um, has come out of four and a half years of a black hole of a nightmare mm. uh, where it neither represented a, a, a credible opposition nor a, an electable government. And the combination was to let those who supported the Labour Party and needed some of its policies uh, let them down very badly. Sir Keir Starmer both is a highly intelligent a professional lawyer who, as director of public prosecutions, led the service well, uh, had to take difficult decisions at a time of austerity, understands the world beyond Labour members, but has been able to do business with those who originally supported Jeremy Corbyn Mm -hmm. and was able to command support from them. His creation of a balanced shadow ministerial team has been very encouraging. Um, I I supported Lisa Nandy, who he's made shadow foreign secretary, 
because I thought she understood the north of England and uh, the the disaffected uh, Labour, former Labour voters. But I believe that Sakir has taken on board those who have something really sensible to offer. And I believe he will be both a, a great leader of the opposition. More importantly, he will then present himself as a credible alternative prime minister. And all governments need an alternative government at their shoulder. Mm. Uh, it was true of us from 97, and it took the Conservatives some time to recover and to get to that position, but they did, and the Labour Party will, and that's crucial for our democracy. All of us need to understand and appreciate that a living, breathing, functioning democracy requires uh, a credible, confident, and uh, in many ways, uh, supportable opposition, as well as a government that we clearly want to do well, because none of us want, as we didn't with the COVID crisis, none of us want the government to fail. We want to see our economy recover. We want our social well-being to be taken into account. We want to overcome deep-seated inequality and poverty. And we want to do it with enterprise and entrepreneurship and business playing their role. And that is about leadership nationally, locally, in the private and the public sector. People with ideas, with confidence, with the ability to pull teams around them. Above all, to have some idea of what it is they want to achieve and a very good idea as to how to achieve it. What's the one king, uh, key thing that Sakira needs to do to restore Labour as an election-winning party? I think Sakir Starmer's major challenge is to convince sceptical voters that Labour has not only reverted to a party that they can support because they can see it acting, developing, presenting as a credible alternative government, mm-hmm. but also that the lessons have been learned from the fiasco from 2015 onwards. In other words, there have to be very clear signals of substantial change, not just the right words, not just reassurance that we're not uh, going back to some of the crazier uh, policies, but actually that we've understood why the electorate rejected those policies so substantially in December 2019. If people get that message, they'll understand that the Labour Party has changed, as it did in the 1980s and early 90s, to become the electable government with the greatest majority and historic majority, even greater than 1945, which I was privileged to be able to take advantage of in 1997 when I joined the Cabinet. Now, I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but uh, indulge me. Um, Do you think Sakir has what it takes to be PM? Yes, I do. I think he has the background, he has the experience, he has the professionalism, he has the forensic uh, mindset, and he has the confidence to have put a team around him which will ensure that it will work. And those elements are true of all leaders. Ideas, ability to build a team, to have confidence in that team, Uh, and to be able to demonstrate leadership in practice 
sometimes at the most difficult times. And, you know, the leaders' council, those sharing their thoughts with uh, uh, the kind of thing that we're doing now uh, with uh, a podcast, but also joining us in linking up in that network of people who can support and help each other and learn from Mm -hmm. each other. That is what needs to be done in politics as it needs to be done in business. Thank well, you very much indeed, Matthew. Well, really thank you for coming on the uh, the program. It's been a, an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much, and good luck to all those listening in what has been a nightmare scenario. Good luck for the future. Have courage, have confidence, and yes, listen to those who know more about business than I ever will. Thank you, Lord Blunkett. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.